Matthew chapter 2, while you're turning there, just a couple of quick things. I want to remind you, um, Paul has already mentioned, tomorrow evening, 5 o'clock, you will not want to miss um, the Christmas Eve service. This is always a very special time. It'll be a one-hour service. We'll have communion together. It's for the whole family and um, lots of Christmas music and um, just a brief message, communion, and uh, just one of my favorite services every year. So don't miss that. Um, also want to just thank all the folks that have been involved in uh, it's, we've just had a beautiful platform, the entire uh, Advent series, and uh, lots of people were involved in that. Uh, I do want to thank Pastor Clayton, Jeff, and Terry Ellis. They have kept these letters up here and every week changed the name. And that's not easy, by the way. They've, they've put a lot of time into doing that. And I think Jeff and Terry cut the uh, letters out of styrofoam. And so didn't they do a great job? And that looked beautiful. We thank them so much. Then on next Sunday, as Paul has already mentioned, one service, 10 o'clock, Kyle will be preaching. Uh, we are going to leave the day after Christmas just for a few days. We'll be back um, on the 1st and then looking forward to Sunday the 6th, the first Sunday of next year. I'll be sharing the vision for 2019 and really for the 100th anniversary year. So you will not want to miss that first Sunday of January, um, nor will you want to miss next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Uh, just the one service. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, all the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard that, that this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with them. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of, people, of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, that you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him to me, uh, that I may come, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. Verse number 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you that you are the king and there is no other. You are the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. I pray, God, in these moments that we share together that remain, that you would supernaturally arrest the attention of everyone in this room. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would use me, that you would anoint me, though I have not earned or deserved that in any way. But I pray for your anointing to rest upon my life. Help me to communicate your word in truth and power, in humility and integrity and in simplicity. And may God, our minds be captivated by the truth of your word 
by the power of that truth and by the transformational power of that truth working in us. Speak to us, challenge us, change us in these moments that we share together today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have reached the final message in this series. His name is, and thus far we have um, talked about three things. Three weeks ago, we from Isaiah 9, we were reminded that his name is wonderful. And um, we talked about, Kyle talked about what that means. Two weeks ago, I, I preached his name is Jesus. This was the angelic uh, announcement to both Mary and Joseph. You are to name the child Jesus. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Josh preached his name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Today, we are going to look at the fourth of this series, the final in this series. And that is, his name is King of the Jews. And we're going to look at and kind of unpack what that statement means. Now, to underscore this truth and really wrap our minds around what it says, we need to go back to the text that I read, the Gospel of Matthew, his narrative of the birth story, and the coming of the Magi, or the coming of the wise men, to see the baby Jesus. Now, we're not going to talk about uh, or get into the speculation about how old Jesus was when the wise men showed up. That's one of the things people love to do. And we'll talk, I'll just mention it briefly, but some think that Jesus may have been as old as two when the Magi appeared. Uh, they went into a house, apparently not into where the manger was. And and there are reasons to believe that he may have been as old as two, but we're not going to speculate or spend time there. Neither are we going to talk about how many magi there were, even though the song says there were three of them, right? But we don't really know. The text doesn't say. It just mentions three gifts. So we have in our tradition decided that um, there were three. We're not going to get into those speculative things but we do want to talk about three kind of strands or three things that, that kind of stand out about Jesus as King of the Jews. First of all, I want to talk to you for a few moments about Jesus as King of the Jews by way of prophecy. The prophets said that Jesus would indeed be the fulfillment of their prophecies and would be the King of the Jews. There are five elements uh, that I want us to look at this morning. But we're going to review the text of Matthew chapter 2. And I want you to see five kind of compelling prophecies or prophetic strands that, that stick out of this text that point us to Jesus as being the King of Jew, the Jews by way of the prophetic proclamation. First of all, just the very visit of the Magi. The very visit of the wise men to find the baby Jesus points to the reality that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now the Magi, we call them wise men, we call them Magi. These were learned men. They were priests, not Jewish priests. They were priests in their religion, their particular cultic kind of worship. 
Magi were learned men and priests who specialized in astrology, that is the stars and the discerning of the stars, and they also specialized in the interpretation of dreams. Many of you will remember the book of Daniel, and there were times when Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and he called for his astrologers, the wise men, to come and try to interpret those dreams. And of course, Daniel was the one that ultimately interpreted. So the Magi were learned men, priests, specialized in astrology, sometimes in the magical arts. They specialized in interpretation of dreams. And they were found all over the Roman world, the Roman Greco world. But specifically, they were found in Babylon. And it is likely that these magi came from Babylon. They came from the east. And they are looking for this one who it is said of him, he is born king of the Jews. Now, let me kind of talk about the prophetic strand that we find here. Um, There is kind of a royal note. If you remember the story of David, and David had a son who also reigned on the throne, and his name was Solomon. And Solomon was, he received a very special royal entourage and visit from the queen of Sheba. First Kings chapter 10, the first 10 verses describe the queen of Sheba coming to Solomon, who is the son of David, who is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And the queen of Sheba comes to Solomon and brings with him gold. And the text says, and a great quantity of spices. And so some 1500 years or some thousand years before Christ, the son of David, Solomon receives this royal visit from the queen of Sheba. Now the psalmist Then picking up on that and speaking of the Messiah that was to come, the psalmist prophesied that this same kind of thing would happen to the Messiah. In Psalm 72, in verse 10, the kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Later on in that same psalm in verse 15, and he shall live and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually and daily he shall be praised. The Jews saw these psalms as prophetic psalms pointing to the Messiah and the coming of the wise men or the magi bringing and bearing their gifts is a fulfillment of that prophecy that was made nearly 1,000 years before Christ was born. There's a second kind of prophetic strand that we find in Matthew 2, and that that is the prominence of the star. The star that is over uh, Bethlehem that leads the Magi to the place where Jesus was has a prominent role in prophetic narrative as well. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, I love to tell this story. Um, as you know, Israel had been in 400 years of bondage in Egypt, right? They were slaves there, and finally Moses comes and delivers them out of Egypt, and they cross the Red Sea, and they wander through the wilderness. And as they're wandering through the wilderness, there is a fear that begins to develop among some of the nations about this moving forward, marching forward army that they fear might take them over. One of those kings that became very afraid of the Israelites that are marching across the wilderness was the king of Moab. 
And Moab's king's name was Balak. And Balak saw Israel moving toward him, and he became very afraid, and so he hired, that is right, he paid money to a prophet by the name of Balaam. And he said to Balaam, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pay you big money, and I want you to stand up on the mountaintop, and I want you to look over Israel, and I want you to curse them. Well, first, Balaam said, no, I can't do it. And he kept offering more money and more money. And finally, God said, well, go ahead, Balaam, see what you can do with it. And Balaam gets up to prophesy, and I love this, every time he opens his mouth, instead of cursing, comes blessing. And he blesses Israel. Every time, in fact, finally, after the third one, Balak says, would you just stop already? Quit blessing them. And, and Balaam says, no, I'm on a roll right now. I've got to keep going. And he gives a fourth prophecy over Israel. But part of that prophecy is this. Balaam says, he's paid to curse, but he can't curse. I see him, but not now. I behold him. But he's not near. In other words, it's a distance away. A star shall come out of Jacob, that is Israel, and a scepter, that which a king holds, shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And so this star that is over the place where the Christ child is, is part of a prophecy that 1,500 years before he is even born, Balaam, who is, is paid to curse, prophesies as the Spirit of God comes upon him and says, A star shall rise out of Jacob and a scepter shall come out of Israel. Prophecy pointing to the Messiah. Thirdly, there is certainly the focus in this text on the Jewish king. But even beyond that, there is the focus of the Messiah. I want you to note the inquiry of the Magi by Herod. When Herod got all the kings or all the chief priests and the scribes, Matthew 2, 4, together, he inquired of them, watch this, look right here, he wanted to know where the Christ would be born. Now, here we are in 2018, and Jesus Christ together, we say that together, and, and we have one picture, we have one understanding. It is our Savior, Jesus Christ. But the word Christ was not then understood as that which applied to Jesus, the one who was born in the manger in Bethlehem. The word Christ is the Greek word Christos. It means the anointed one, and it referenced a Messiah Someone that the Jews were looking for that would come and would be their king. It was their Messiah. Now, the Old Testament word Messiah is Mashiach, and it also means anointed. And so, not only was this the king of the Jews that they were expecting, but every Jew, look right here, every Jew was expecting a Mashiach, a Christos, an anointed one, a Messiah. And so when Herod says, I want to know where the Christ is to be born, he was saying, I want to know where this one that the Jews think is the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Christos, the Messiah. I want to know where he is going to be born. The fourth kind of strand that we pick up in this text is the crucial role of Herod. Herod, who is himself 
a puppet of the Roman Empire. But even though he is only a puppet, he considers himself the king of the Jews. He's in charge. And he finds out that there is one that has been prophesied, a Messiah, an anointed one, a king that was to come. And he is to be the king of the Jews. And in his insecurity, he wants to get rid of this guy that might usurp him of his authority. And so he says to the Magi, I hear you are going to go looking for this king of the Jews. I hear you are going to go and search for the Messiah, the anointed one that that your prophets have promised. So when you find him, Herod said, let me know. Because I would like to go and worship him as well. Now we all know he had no intention of worshiping him. He wanted instead to kill this one because he is a threat to his throne. But he says to the Magi, you go, you find out, tell me where he's at, and I'll go there too and worship him. Well, the Magi go, they find him, and they are going to go back and tell Herod, but they are warned in a dream not to go back and tell him. And the text says that when Herod saw that he had been deceived by the wise men, he was angry. And he made a decree that they should kill every male child, every male child should be killed who was in Bethlehem and in all of its district from two years of age and under, based on the time frame that the wise men or the magi had told him. So Herod is this angry dictator that wants to stamp out the Messiah, the anointed one, the king of the Jews. For those who know scripture, it is reminiscent of something that happened, isn't it, in the Old Testament. When there was one who would be the deliverer of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage, whose name was Moses. And Pharaoh, afraid that these Jews were or Hebrews were going to become so great that they would no longer be slaves. We read that Pharaoh commanded all of his people saying, every son who is born you shall be cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Look right here for just a moment. 1,500 years separated these two events. In both cases, there is a human dictator who is trying to stamp out the sovereign plan and work of God. Trying to destroy the deliverance plan of God. Pharaoh couldn't do it. Herod couldn't do it. And How many understand there is no power in all of heaven or hell that can stop the plan of God. How many believe that to be true? Could not be stopped. But Herod has a crucial role in this story that points us to that same prophetic stream. And finally, the fifth kind of strand of this prophetic pointing to the king of the Jews is that he was born in Bethlehem. Again, Old Testament readers would know the story of Israel's throne. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like every other nation. And, you know, they cried and cried. And finally, God said, okay, Samuel, give him a king. And they had a king, and his name was Saul. And Saul was, uh, this is probably the understatement of the year, 
he was a disaster, all right? He kind of fell apart. And so God said, we, we're gonna, we're gonna, there's going to be a different king. And God said to Samuel, you know the story. He said, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem, Bethlehem. And, and I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And it's there that you're going to anoint the next king of Israel. And so Samuel took his horn of oil, which is what they used to anoint the next king. And he went to the home of Jesse. And Jesse had a whole bunch of sons and they were, they were, they were solid. They were tough. They were, they were put together. They were handsome. They were healthy. They were strong. And, and um, Samuel thought, surely one of these guys is going to be it. And he went through them all. And God said, no, it's none of these guys. So Samuel kind of scratched his head and said, well, Jesse, you got a kid you're hiding somewhere that you haven't told me about. He said, well, I got this one little guy in the backyard and he's tending the sheep and he's probably not going to amount to much, but I suppose you can go talk to him if you'd like. And so Samuel goes out and as soon as he sees David, God says, arise and anoint him for this is he. And David becomes the anointed king, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemites. David becomes the anointed king and they really the prototype king for Israel. Luke, in his gospel narrative of the birth, Luke says that Joseph and Mary had gone to Bethlehem to register for the census. All went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And then Matthew tells us that Jesus was actually born there after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Something really interesting, when David was on the throne, David is on the throne a thousand years, a millennium before Christ is even born, God promised to David an everlasting throne. He said, David, from your seed, there's always going to be someone from your loins, from your lineage is always going to reign in the house of Israel. Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established Forever. And some 700 years before Christ was born, the prophet Micah said, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you're little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. You see, Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the prophesied king of the Jews. And so the Magi said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It was prophesied that way. Where is he? Because we have seen a star in the east and we have come to worship him. So first we have um, Jesus, king of the Jews, by prophecy. Let me now talk about Jesus, King of the Jews, by force. In John chapter 6, and I'm not going to read you the whole story. We'll just read the last verse in just a moment. But in John chapter 6, in those first 15 verses, there was a story told of Jesus with his disciples. He's been teaching. It's been a long day of teaching. And so he decides that he and his disciples will go up in the mountain and they're going to rest and relax for a while. And And they do that, and then they see this crowd of people moving toward him. And Jesus has compassion on them, and and Jesus says, well, find a way to feed them. Let's let's feed them all. Now, 
you know, sometimes leaders have a way of making promises that those who are serving those leaders aren't sure how they are going to figure out. You understand it's easy to be the leader and make a big promise. Yeah, we'll take care of all of you. And then you turn to somebody else, like I might turn to Lori and say, you figure it out, you make it happen. And so that's kind of what Jesus did. Let's feed them all. And um, now you guys figure out how this is going to be done. And Philip says, are you kidding me? There's there's no way. We we don't have enough money to feed 5,000 men and their wives and children. And Jesus said, well, see what you got. See what you got. They come up with one little boy's lunch. He wasn't really excited about giving it up, but he thought, well, hey, if you can do something with this. And he hands off his lunch, five loaves, two fish. And Jesus says, that's perfect. Can you imagine me, one of those guys? That's perfect. 5,000 men, wives, children, and you say five loaves, two fish is perfect, but you go for it, Jesus. So he, he has five loaves, two fish, and you know what? You know the story. Blesses it, breaks it, distributes it, and they're all fed. And there's enough for leftovers. And they, they pick up 12 baskets full when they're done. Well, when that great day is over, um, the Bible says that, that these folks were pretty excited about Jesus. I mean, if he can take five loaves and two fish and feed maybe 10 or 15 or 20,000 people with them... This must be the Mashiach. This must be the Christos. This must be the king that is to come. And so the text says that Jesus perceived, watch this, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. So he uh, departed to the mountain by himself. What you think with me for a moment? The Jews wanted a king. But they wanted a king that would overcome the Roman Empire. They were, they were under the tyrannical, autocratic dictatorship of Caesar Augustus. That maintained the peace of Rome. But he did it with a heavy hand. You get out of line, he killed you. Anybody that he thought was threatening him, he took him out. And so he kept peace. Nobody dared stand against Caesar Augustus. And the Roman Empire. The Jews were his slaves. And they were looking for the Mashiach. They were looking for the anointed one. To come and deliver them from the hand of this tyrant. They believed that a king would come. He would be a strong and glorious king. He would be a ruler and a warrior. And so they thought Jesus must be the one. By the way, Herod thought so too. Herod was afraid of him when he was just an infant, and he tried to kill him. You see, the Jews saw Jesus as the son of David. And David was a warrior king, and so they thought, he's going to be our Mashiach. He's going to be our Christos, our Messiah, our anointed one. And so they saw him as the son of David, the king to be. Matthew 9, 27, two blind men followed him crying, son of David. Matthew 15, 22, a Gentile, a Canaanite woman cried out, have mercy on me, son of David. In Matthew 20 and verse 30, again, two blind men on the side of the road cried out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when Jesus rode into the city in Matthew 21 and verse 9 on a colt, they cried out, Hosanna, son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. David was a warrior king, and the miracles of Jesus, watch this, led the people to believe that he was the one. John 7, 31, many of the people believed him, and they said, when the Christ comes... Could he do more signs than this man? In other words, could there be anybody who has done more miracles than this man? He must be our Messiah. And so they tried to make him king by force. When he fed the multitudes, that's our guy. Nobody can do more miracles than him. We're going to make him king. Everybody look right here for just a moment. That's what the church is doing today. That's what we have done. We're trying to force his kingship. We're trying to force it through politics, putting a star on our favorites, he or she politician, thinking he's the one that's in line, trying to make Jesus king. We're trying to legislate his kingship through our big rallies. We're trying to make him king by force. But Jesus had his own way. He still has his own way. Look at John six eleven. He took loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples. Watch this. Think with me. Place that over against the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, as they were eating... Jesus took bread and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Everybody just look right here for just a moment. When Jesus fed 5,000 men plus wives and children that day, this is the guy that's going to turn over the Roman Empire. This is the guy that's going to get our political system back. This is the guy. And listen, they weren't even all that interested in Jesus. And I'm not so sure sometimes we're all that interested in Jesus either. It's like they wanted, if Jesus got in, they wanted to be on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. And I think sometimes we want to be on the right side of things. This guy's going to get our system back. And so we're going to force him to be king. Jesus had a different idea. He broke bread. A precursor in John 6 to what he would do in Matthew 26. Guys, I'm not going to be king by force. This is my body. I'm going to become king by sacrifice and service. Not by force and power. Which leads me to the final thought, and that is Jesus, King of the Jews, by the cross. I have a lot of favorite sermons. You may not make this, may not be your favorite, but I think this part of this sermon may be one of the most favorite things I've ever preached. It's not all that, it's not all that amazing, but the truth here is just pretty, pretty awesome. And I want you just to hang steady with me for 10 minutes and we'll be through this. It was preparation day, about the sixth hour. And Pilate, he said, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? 
chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them, him to them to be crucified. They took Jesus and they led him away. And he, bearing his own cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is in the Hebrew tongue, Golgotha. And there they crucified him, two others with him, one on either side. Jesus was in the center. Watch this. We read over this every Good Friday, and I don't know that we ever pause and think about the powerful implications. Pilate wrote a title, and he put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. When the Jews read the title... For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, that is Jerusalem. And this title was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. That'll be awesome in just a moment. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write king of the Jews, but write that he said he was king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, I love this, in his stubbornness, Pilate said, What I've written, I've written. Not changing it. It is what it is. That's the placard you will get above his head. John describes the crucifixion. Pilate yields to the pressures of the people. And he sentences Jesus to death. The Romans carry out the execution. He has to carry his own cross. He is stripped. He is beaten. He is nailed through his wrists and through his feet to the cross. Two thieves, one on either side of him... And from 9 a.m. for the next six hours, Jesus hangs in excruciating agony. He's dying the most despicable death of that time era. The only people the Romans crucified were pirates, slaves, or the worst of criminals. For six hours, Jesus is exposed to the harsh, brutal sun. The breathing becomes so labored he can't push himself up to get a breath. Public traffic goes by the cross and they hurl ugly, ugly insults. Cursing the Son of God and calling him every name imaginable. Imagine you were there. You were just a passerby, you just came to town that day and you see this man hanging on a cross and you hear the ugliness of the insults and you know that the only people that ever get hung on a cross are those who are the worst criminals or a slave or a pirate and you hear the kinds of things being said to this man, it makes you wonder what awful crime must he have committed? For them to be saying those kind of ugly things to him, what could he have done? So you push a little closer to the cross. And as was the custom, a little placard was placed above the head on the cross of the criminal, describing his crime. You're expecting to read something really horrific on that placard over his head. And you get as close as you can so you can make out the sign. What did this awful person do? And it simply says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Why is that a crime? Why aren't the Jews giving him the honor he deserves? You wonder. Three things, and I'm going to bring this to a close, so just hold steady with me. Number one, um, 
the Jews wanted a sign above Jesus that would depict their charge against Jesus. You see, the Jews knew, please please watch this, listen, learn, this is pretty powerful. Um, the Jews knew the Romans were not interested in getting rid of Jesus. The Romans saw this as a religious squabble. They didn't want to mess with that. It had nothing to do with them. So the Jews tried to say that he is trying to subvert Caesar. The Jews wanted the Romans to believe that he's calling himself the king of the Jews and trying to run Herod out and run Caesar out, trying to subvert the Roman authority. They thought if they could just make the Romans believe that, they would crucify Jesus. They thought that would be the only crime the Romans would not tolerate. Problem is, Pilate had already questioned Jesus. Um, he had already taken him and questioned him. Let's put that up on the screen. Pilate came into the praetorium. And he said to, to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, you, did you come up with that on your own? Or did somebody else tell you that? That's basically what he said. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priest, delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. I'm not trying to subvert the Roman authority. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. I wouldn't be delivered. I wouldn't be here. If I was trying to turn this thing over, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said what people are still saying today, what is truth? And when he had said this, Pilate went out again to the Jews and he said to them, I don't find any fault in him. He's not trying to subvert the Roman authority. He's not trying to, to get rid. He even said to me, his kingdom wasn't of this world. He's not after us. You see, the Jews hoped that the sign in all three languages, in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin, they hoped that that would exonerate them. The whole world would see the reason this guy is hanging is because he said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate didn't fall for that. He omitted those words. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Please take that off. Change it, Pilate. What I have written, I have written. And so instead of an accusation, that placard became a proclamation. Jesus, King of the Jews. You see, Pilate was using the sign to get back at the Jews. He didn't make any excuse. He ordered no explanation. He hated the Jews and he had a contempt for them and he was not about to write what they wanted written. Pilate wasn't, he wasn't being super spiritual. Pilate was just being super stubborn. But how many know God can override the super stubborn? Do you know he can do that? So Pilate is being super stubborn. The Jews are trying to get their way. Watch this. God used the sign. To declare Christ's lordship to the world. So in Hebrew, king of the Jews. In the international language of Greek, 
that almost everyone who was there for commerce would know, King of the Jews. And for the Romans, who ruled the world in Latin, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Sign was meant to be understood by all men. Though dying a humiliating death, he was in reality the almighty king, dying for his people, giving his life as a sacrifice. Why don't you stand with me if you would. Please just hold steady. It's still early. Don't go anywhere. Jesus, Jesus was a king like no other king. Most kings expect and demand to be served and defended. Most kings say, take care of me. My needs first. Most kings gain followership by fear and intimidation. But Jesus was like no other king. He doesn't claim our allegiance by force, by intimidation. He claims our allegiance by serving us and becoming sin for us. One of my favorite writers, F.F. Bruce, said the crucified one is the true king, the kingliest king of all. Because it is he who stretched out on the cross. He turned an obscure instrument of torture into a throne of glory. And he reigns from the tree. You know, um, Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. There were 400 prophecies about Christ. Jesus fulfilled them all. A couple of really brilliant statisticians, mathematicians set out to try to figure out the likelihood of one man fulfilling 400 prophecies. They gave up. That was too many. They decided to narrow it down to eight. And they said, what is the likelihood of one man in one period of time fulfilling eight, just eight of 400 prophecies? Forget the other 392. What about eight? They did all of the math, true story. And here's what they came up to. The probability of one man fulfilling eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and the other 392 is like if you were to take a stack of silver dollars, stack them a foot high and make sure they were touching, and you would put stacks that would cover the entire geographical area of the state of Texas. How many like to have all of those silver dollars in your bank account? All right. And you would put a red X on one of them randomly and then send a man with a blindfold into that pile and say on the first try, find the one with the red X. That is the probability of one person fulfilling eight prophecies that were prophesied hundreds of years before Christ. Jesus fulfilled all 400 of them. It's not some random thing we're hoping is true. Now, there's some people that are kind of arrogant. Yeah, you want to believe that, you can. It's not something we're hoping is true. This is something that is true. When Pilate said, what is truth? Truth was right 
in front of him. One person has said being an atheist is a temporary condition because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There was one person that got it, two thieves, one on either side of Jesus, one hurling insults, one that wouldn't. One who was probably a Jew and knew that Psalm 22 said they would divide the garments and cast lots for the Messiah. And that one on the other side, instead of hurling insults, said, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's the kingliest king of all. He reigns. He reigns. His throne of glory is a tree across called Calvary. Bow your heads with me if you would. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than simply with every head bowed and every eye closed, raising a hand and saying, I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I've never surrendered my life to his lordship. I've never said, come and live inside of me, but I believe that he is not only the king of the Jews, but I believe he's the king of the universe and I want him to be the king of my heart. Anyone in this room that would raise a hand and say, would you pray for me? I want to make Jesus Christ on this, on this final Sunday of Advent before Christmas 2018. What a great day to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Anyone in this room that would say, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Anyone in this room? Anyone in this place? Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you because, Lord, what we are believing in is not for weak people. It's only the truly courageous, only the truly strong who can say, I need eternal life that can come only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I pray today, God, that if there's those in this room that are maybe considering the claims of Christ, some who want to pass those claims off and some who want to say that's nonsense. I pray, God, that they would recognize you in all of your glory. You are not a king like the world offers. That's why Paul said that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The Greeks thought it was foolish. The Jews stumbled over the fact that their Savior would die. But to those who believe, it's the power of God into salvation. So help us, Lord, to lay hold of what you did for us in Calvary. King of the Jews, King of our lives. We worship you and we honor you. And I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room would leave this place with absolute certainty that their life has allowed you to sit on the throne of their hearts, and may we all walk with you as King and Lord of our lives, I pray. Thank you for being our King. We honor you and we worship you in Jesus' name. We're going to sing this old hymn, crown him with many crowns. If you're a guest today, we'd love to meet you in the meet and greet room for just a couple of moments after the service. Let's sing this together and worship him.